0: Chapter Sixty Three of The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsten Nelson. The Wanderer, or Female Difficulties, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Sixty Three. With unsteady footsteps and covered with blushes, Julia repaired to the parlour, where Harleigh, with delighted yet trembling impatience, was awaiting her arrival. The door was half open, and he had placed himself at a distant window, to force her entire entrance into the room, before she could see him or speak. But that point gained, he hastened to shut it, exclaiming, How happy for me is this incident, whatever may have been its origin! Let me instantly avail myself of it to entreat. Give me leave! interrupted juliet looking every way to avoid his eyes to deliver my message miss Joddrel. when we begin cried harley eagerly upon the unhappy eleanor she must absorb us let me then first i must be heard sir said juliet with more firmness or i must be gone you must be heard then undoubtedly he cried with a smile and offering her a chair for you must not be gone juliet declined being seated but delivered nearly in the words that she had received it her message harleigh looked pained and distressed yet impatient as he listened how he cried can i argue with her the false exaltation of her ideas the effervescence of her restless imagination place her above or below whatever argument or reason can offer to her consideration her own creed is settled not by investigation into its merits not by reflection upon its justice but by an impulsive preference in the persuasion that such a creed leaves her mistress of her destiny ah do not resist her cried juliet if there is any good to be done do it and without delay it is not you i can resist he tenderly answered if deliberately it is your opinion i should comply but her peculiar character her extraordinary principles and the strange situation into which she has cast herself give her for the moment advantages difficult yea dangerous to combat unawed by religion of which she is ignorant unmoved by appearances to which she is indifferent she utters all that occurs to an imagination inflamed by passion disordered by disappointment and fearless because hopeless with a courage from which she has banished every species of restraint and with a spirit of ridicule that so largely pervades her whole character as to burst forth through all her sufferings to mix derision with all her sorrows and to preponderate even over her passions reason and argument appear to her but as marks for dashing eloquence or sportive mockery nevertheless if by striking at everything, daringly, impetuously, unthinkingly, she starts some sudden doubt, demands some impossible explanation, or asks some humanly unanswerable question, she will conclude herself victorious, and be more lost than ever to all that is right, from added false confidence in all that is wrong. If so, the conference were indeed better avoided, said Juliet with sadness. Yet, as it is not the sacred truth of revealed religion that she means to canvass, as it is merely the previous question of the possibility or impossibility according to her notions of a future state for mankind which she desires to discuss i do not quite see the danger of answering the doubts or refuting the assertions that may lead her afterwards to an investigation so important to her future welfare if she would consult with a clergyman it were certainly preferable but that will be a point no longer difficult to gain, when once you have convinced her, upon your own terms of controversy, that you herself have a firm belief in immortality." "'The attempt shall surely be made,' said Harley, if you think such a result as casting her into more reverend hands may ensue. If I have fled all controversy with her, from the time that she has publicly proclaimed her religious infidelity, it has by no means been from disgust. An unbeliever is simply an object of pity for who is so deplorably without resource in sickness or calamity, those two common occupiers of half our existence? No, if I have fled all voluntary intercourse with her, it has only been that her total contempt of the world has forced me to take upon myself the charge of public opinion for us both. While I considered her as the future wife of my brother, I frankly contested whatever I thought wrong in her notions." the wildness of her character, the eccentricity of her ideas, and the violence of all her feelings, with her extraordinary understanding, parts, I ought to say, for understanding implies rather what is solid than brilliant, joined to the goodness of her heart, and the generosity, frankness, and openness of her nature, excited at once an anxiety for my brother, and an interest for herself, that gave occasion to the most affectionate, animadversion on my part, and produced alternate defence or concession on hers. But her disdain of flattery, or even of civil acquiescence, made my freedom, opposed to the courteous complaisance which my brother deemed due to his situation of her humble servant, strike her in a point of view, that has been unhappy for us all three. Yet this was a circumstance which I had never suspected, for where no wish is met, remark often sleeps, and I had been wholly unobservant till you called from the deep interest with which she had involuntarily listened to the relation of his connection with Eleanor, by the sudden transition to herself juliet startled but he went on till you were an inmate of the same house till i saw her strange consternation when she found me conversing with you her rising injustice when with the respect and admiration which you inspired i mentioned you her restless vigilance to interrupt whatever communication i attempted to have with you her sudden fits of profound yet watchful taciturnity when i saw you in her presence "'I may tell her,' interrupted Juliet, disturbed, "'that you will wait upon her according to her request? "'When you,' cried he, smiling, "'are her messenger, she must not expect quite so quick, "'quite so categorical an answer. "'I must first—' "'On the contrary, her impatience will be insupportable "'if I do not relieve it immediately.' "'She would have opened the door, but preventing her—' "'Can you indeed believe?' he cried, with vivacity. "'Is it possible you can believe, that having once caught a ray of light, "'to illumine and cheer the dread and nearly impervious darkness, "'that so long and so blackly overclouded all my prospects, "'I can consent, can endure, to be cast again into desolate obscurity?' "'Juliet, blushing, and conscious of allusion to her reception of him in the churchyard, "'for which, without naming Sir Lyle Sycamore, she knew not how to account, "'again protested that she must not be detained.' still however half reproachfully half laughingly stopping her and is it thus he cried that you summon me to brighthelmstone only to mock my obedience and disdain to hear me ay sir i summon you nay see my credentials he presented to her the following note written in an evidently feigned hand if mr harley will take a ramble to the churchyard upon the hill at brighthelmstone next thursday morning at five o'clock he will there meet a female fellow-traveller now in the greatest distress who solicits his advice and assistance to extricate her from her present intolerable abode deeply colouring and could mr harley she cried even for a moment believe suppose he interrupted her with an air of tender respect no i did not indeed dare believe dare suppose that an honour a trust such as might be implied by an appeal like this came from you yet for you i was sure it was meant to pass and to discover by whom it was devised and for what purpose irresistibly drew me hither though with full conviction of imposition i came however predetermined to watch around your dwelling at the appointed hour ere i repaired to the bidden place but what was my agitation when i thought i saw you i doubted my senses I retreated, I hung back, your face was shaded by your headdress. yet your air, your walk, was it possible I could be deceived? Nevertheless, I resolved not to speak nor to approach you till I saw whether you proceeded to the churchyard. I was by no means free from suspicion of some new stratagem of Eleanor, for, fatigued with concealment, I was then publicly at my house upon Bagshot Heath, where the note had reached me yet her distance from brighthelmstone for so early an hour joined to intelligence which i had received some time ago for you will not imagine that the period which i spend without seeing i spend also without hearing of you that you had been observed and more than once at that early hour in the churchyard true cried Juliet eagerly at that hour i have frequently met or accompanied a friend a beloved friend thither and in her name i had even then when i saw you been deluded not for a walk a ramble not upon any party of pleasure but to visit a little tomb which holds the regretted remains of the darling and only child of that dear unhappy friend she wept harleigh extremely touched said you have then a friend here is it may i ask is it the person you so earnestly sought upon your arrival is your anxiety relieved your embarrassment your suspense, your cruel distress? Will you not give me at length some little satisfaction? Can you wonder that my forbearance is worn out? Can my impatience offend you? If I press to know your situation, it is but with the desire to partake it. If I solicit to hear your name, it is but with the hope that you will suffer me to change it. He would have taken her hand, but drawing back and wiping her eyes, though irresistibly touched,—'Offend?' she repeated. "'Oh, far, far!' But why will you recur to a subject that ought so long since to have been exploded, while another, an essential one, calls for all my attention? The last packet which you left with me, you must suffer me instantly to return. The first, the first, she stammered, coloured, and then added, the first I am shocked to own. I must defer returning yet a little longer. Defer? ardently repeated Harley. Ah, why not condescend to think at least another language if not to speak it? why not anticipate in kind idea at least the happy period for me when i may be permitted to consider as included and mutual in our destinies what to whatever hitherto oh hold oh mr harleigh interrupted juliet in a voice of anguish let no error no misconstruction of this terrible sort no inference no expectation thus wide from all possible reality add to my various misfortunes the misery of remorse remorse gracious powers what can you mean that I have committed the most dreadful of mistakes, a mistake that I ought never to forgive myself, if, in the relief from immediate perplexity, which I ventured to owe to a momentary, and, I own, an intentionally unacknowledged usage of some of the notes which you forced into my possession, I have given rise to a belief, to an idea, to—she hesitated, and blushed so violently that she could not finish her phrase. But Harleigh appeared thunderstruck, and was wholly silent. She looked down, abashed, and added— the instant, by any possible means, by work, by toil, by labor, nothing will be too severe, all will be light and easy, that can rectify that—' She could not proceed, and Harley, somewhat recovered by the view of her confusion, gently, though reproachfully, said, "'All, then, will be preferable to the slightest, smallest trust in me? And is this from abhorrence? Or do you deem me so ungenerous as to believe that I should take unworthy advantage of being permitted to offer you even the most trivial service?' "'No, no, oh, no!' with quickness cried Juliet. "'But the more generous you may be, the more readily you may imagine—' She stopped, at a loss how to finish. "'That you would be generous, too?' cried Harley, revived and smiling. She could not refrain from a smile herself, but hastily added, "'My conduct must be liable to no inference of any sort. Adieu, sir. "'I will deliver you the packet in Miss Jodrell's room.' Her hand was upon the lock, but his foot, fixed firmly against the door, impeded its being opened. While he exclaimed, "'I cannot part with you thus. You must clear this terrific obscurity that threatens to involve me once more in the horrors of excruciating suspense. Why that cruel expression of displeasure? Can you think that the moment of hope, however brief, however unintentional, however accidental, can ever be obliterated from my thoughts?' that my existence, to whatever term it may be lengthened, will ever outlive the precious remembrance that you have called me your destined protector, your guardian angel? He could add no more. A mortal paleness overspread the face of Juliet, who, letting go the lock of the door, sunk upon a chair faintly ejaculating. Was I not yet sufficiently miserable? Penetrated with sorrow and struck with alarm, Harleigh looked at her in silence, but when again he sought to take her hand, shrinking from his touch, though regarding him with an expression that supplicated, rather than commanded forbearance. "'If you would not kill me, Mr. Harley,' she cried, "'you will relinquish this terrible perseverance.' "'Relinquish!' he repeated. "'What, now? Now that all delicacy for this wild, eccentric, though so generous, Eleanor is at an end? That she has herself annulled your engagement? Relinquish, now, the hope so long pursued, so difficultly caught?' "'No, I swear to you.' Juliet arose. "'Oh, hold, Mr. Harley,' she cried. "'Recollect yourself a moment. I lament if I have involuntarily caused you any transient mistake. Yet do me the justice to reflect that I have never cast my destiny upon that of Miss Jadrell. No decision, therefore, of hers can make any change in mine.' She again put her hand upon the lock of the door. Harley fixed upon her his eyes, which spoke the severest disturbance, while in tremulous accents he uttered, "'And can you leave me thus to wasting despondence, and with this cold, chilling, blighting composure? Is it from pitiless apathy which incapacitates for judging of torments which it does not experience? Oh, no! Those eyes that so often glisten with the most touching sensibility, those cheeks that so beautifully mantle with the varying dyes of quick transition of sentiment, that mouth which so expressively plays in harmony with every word nay every thought all all announce a heart where every virtue is seconded and softened by every feeling a mind alive to the quickest sensations yet invigorated with the ablest understanding a soul of angelic purity some sound from the passage made him suddenly stop and remove his foot while the hand of juliet dropped from the lock they were both silent and both affrighted stood suspended till juliet shocked at the impropriety of such a situation forced herself to open the door at the other side of which looking more dead than alive stood Eleanor, leaning upon her sister i began to think she cried in a hollow tone that you were eloped and determining to trust to no messenger i came myself she then endeavoured to call forth a smile but it visited so unwillingly features nearly distorted by internal agony that it gave a cast almost ghastly to her countenance why harley she cried should you thus shun me have i not given back her plighted faith to ellis yet i am not ignorant how tired you must be of those old threadbare topics bowls daggers poignards and bodkins but they have had their reign and are now dethroned what remains is plain common stupid rationality i wish to converse with you albert only as a casuist, and upon a point of conscience which you alone can settle for this world and for all that belongs to it all with me is utterly over i have neither care nor interest left in it and i have no belief that there is any other i am very composedly ready therefore to take my last nap i merely wish to learn before i return to my torpid ignorance whether it can be a fact that you harley you believe in a future state for mortal man and i engage you by your friendship which i still prize above all things and by your honor, which you, I know, prize in the same manner, to answer me this question, instantly and categorically. Most faithfully, then, Elinor, yes. All the happiness of my present life is founded upon my belief of a life to come. Elinor held up her hands. Astonishing, she cried, can judgment and credulity, wisdom and superstition, thus jumble themselves together, and in a head so clear, so even oracular, Give me at least your reasons, and see that they are your own. Harleigh looked disturbed, but made not any answer. The wan face of Eleanor was now lighted up with hues of scarlet. I feel, she cried, the impropriety of this intrusion, for who, if not I, since we all prize most what we know least, should respect happiness? When you have finished, however, your present conference, honour me both of you, if you please, that the period so employed may be less wearisome to either, with a final one upstairs. "'Harley, a final one.' "'Harley was still silent. "'A yet deeper red now dyed the whole complexion of Eleanor, "'and she added, "'If to-day you are too much engaged, to-morrow will suffice. "'To-day, indeed, your solemn protestations of belief "'upon a subject which to me is a chaos, "'dark, impervious, impenetrable, "'has given ample employment to my ideas.' "'Repulsing, then, his silently offered arm, "'she returned, with Selina, "'to the chamber consigned to her by Mrs. Ireton.' End of chapter 63 Recording by Kirsten Nelson